Have any of you heard the phrase, uh, dance like no one's watching? Yeah. Because uh, I know many of you here would really be able to bust a really good move if you weren't concerned about what people, other people were watching, what they thought. Uh, we're, we're different depending on our audience, right? To who is our audience? That affects how we dance. It affects how we do a lot of things. And it also affects our faith. That fundamental question, who is our audience? Why are we doing this? Who are we doing this for? And as we go through our sermon series, um, Jesus is talking about a, a kingdom righteousness, a, a story bigger than our own, and actually an audience bigger than our typical audience, even though it's only an audience of one. Because as we'll see today, Jesus talks about doing things because God is our audience. And you might think, well, God, he's only, yeah, he's an audience of one, but he's also the audience of number one. That there is no one higher, that he, there is, he's eternal. So when we do things with God as our audience, um, we live bigger, the story's bigger. We're brought into his kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom. Because as we've been going through this sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, we're in the point, chapters 5 through 7, where Matthew is giving us a sample of Jesus' teachings. And uh, Jesus, the crowds are following Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God. What's it like? Uh, the kingdom righteousness, and righteousness is a right standing before God. What's that like? Uh, who is entering it? And those chapters 5 through 7 are called the Sermon on the Mount. And as we talked about last week, Jesus, he's, he's saying how the kingdom of God is very different. It's turning things upside down, that the, the typical religious thinking of the day is actually inadequate, that God's kingdom is so much more. And he talks about how God's kingdom, it's not just about behavior modification, but heart transformation. That's what he talked about last week. Well, this week, as Jesus continues to preach, he starts talking about behaviors, but he still is on that theme of the, the, the heart behind the behavior, the heart that is inspiring the behavior. And true righteousness before God, right standing before God, it involves a motivation to please God and advance his kingdom, uh, not to please other people, uh, not to make yourself famous, but to make God famous. And I appreciate Eric reading that scripture, and, and hopefully you noticed a couple of patterns going on in this section. But verse 1, really, it, it's kind of the topic sentence, if you will, of this whole section. He says, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then the following paragraphs deal with three ways that people of the time practiced their righteousness, practiced their faith. Because in first century Judaism, there was three primary um, actions, righteous actions. They were uh, giving, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And if you noticed in this, Jesus goes through each one of these fundamental practices. And for each practice, Jesus says what not to do and then what to do. 
But what not to do is mostly about whether you're, when you're giving, when you're praying, when you're fasting. Don't do it for other people's attention. Don't do it as if because your audience is other people. It's like, don't do that. And then he says, but how you should do it is, number one, do it for God. And two, do it in secret. And the result is that, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't know if you notice that. He says that in verse 4, 6, 18. It's a pattern. And you might be thinking, but lots of times in the Bible, we read about people praying together, people praying publicly, people fasting publicly. And as Jesus, I think he's saying, um, and because of that, we need to understand that really what Jesus is getting at is the heart motivation behind it and the heart motivation that is exposed through secrecy. What I mean by that is secrecy often reveals the motivations of our hearts. Because if we understand that God sees all, then, well, if I'm giving and the only person who knows about it is God, oh, I'm okay with that. If I'm praying, if I'm fasting, and no one else knows, if I'm doing it for God, well, then that's fine that no one sees it. So Jesus here is using secrecy as a way to expose the motivations of our heart. So it's not that, oh, we can ever pray in public. No, there's plenty of places in the Bible where we pray in public, but it goes back to, but why? What's your motivation? And are you the same when no one's watching? Because you know, well, actually, someone's always watching, and it's God. And since I'm trying to please him, then even when no one's watching, many people are, it, it doesn't make a difference. Because he's my audience. Because religious people, we often have mixed motivations. And we often do things not to actually get closer to God, but to seem like we're closer to God in the eyes of other people. You see, we believe the lie that perception is everything. Have you heard that phrase before? Perception is everything. Well, it's not with God because God sees all. He sees into our hearts. Nothing is hidden with God. And one of the refrains here, uh, hopefully you notice as Eric read it, is that um, if you want to be seen by people when you're giving, praying, or fasting, if that's your motivation, that you want people to see you, and then you get what you want, meaning people see you. People see you praying, people see you giving, that's your reward. You get what you want. If your motivation is to be seen by people, people see you praying, people see you giving, there you go. There's your reward. Your giving, your prayers, your fasting, however, don't draw you closer into a transformative relationship with God, another step towards God that has eternal results Instead, the results are just earthly. Your reward is earthly. Oh, you want to get credit from people? There you go. You have it. And in four years, if, you're, if we're fortunate, that's as long as people will remember how spiritual you are. <laughs> you see, this is an example, I believe, that sometimes, often, God's judgment 
is giving us what we want. Yes, oftentimes God, his judgment is saying, is that what you want? Okay, you can have it. So God's judgment in this case is giving us what we want. We want to be, get credit. We want to seem spiritual by other people. God says, okay, you have it. The problem is, is the reason this is a tragedy and the reason that this is a judgment is that God has so much more for you. He's calling you into his kingdom. He's calling me into his kingdom. He wants to give you himself. But we're satisfied with a few people thinking, wow, we're so spiritual. That's our reward. So kingdom righteousness has a right heart motivation to please God. So that's the question. What do you do when no one's watching? That is, no one's watching but God, because he always sees. So when you're giving, when you're praying, when you're fasting, what, what is that heart behind it? And that's the overall message. Hopefully you saw that as Eric read that scripture. But let's dig a little bit deeper into each one. Verses 2 through 4, Jesus starts first about, uh, in verse 2, when you give to the needy. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others so that your giving may be in secret. So now we, um, you know, there's lots of uh, help programs, lots of welfare programs, but in that day, people, um, you knew your neighbors, and if they needed help, you gave to them. So that was one of the things that... Um, you know, was a sort of a pillar of the faith that if people are hungry, you gave to them. But giving towards God, that whether that was then or now, the, the purpose is something God calls us to. The same dynamics are at play. Uh, if we are doing it for God, then it's okay if it's secret because he sees it. Yeah, that's one of the, the fundamental principles here. And uh, next week, next Sunday, we're actually beginning our stewardship campaign, our pledge campaign, where we ask uh, folks in the church, members of the church, um, to give a pledge of, like, what do you think next year you'll be giving towards our church so we can plan and we can make, um, you know, we can make the budget and whatnot. But one of the things that's important to us is that nobody knows what you pledge. No one knows what you write on that card. Why? Because of this principle, that we don't want folks to uh, give because other people are watching. The only person that knows is our financial secretary. I don't know what anyone gives. And the reason for that is, again, we don't want people to, well, to do this. Uh, Nathan, can you help me out? <laughs> don't clap at that we don't <laughs> that's what we don't want <laughs> we, we we want we don't want folks to sound a trumpet before them so that they're giving because they know people are watching we want people to give to please god not for credit and so do, and here's the thing, is doing that in secret, giving in secret, it both reveals our heart in that if we're fine doing it in secret, then yeah, we're, we're doing it for God. But it also cultivates our heart. 
And that if, we, if we're tempted to like, especially if we, um, if we go above and beyond, right? If God convicts us and we're like, yeah, I want to give more this year. And there's that temptation. Mm, I'd really like people to know because this, I, I'm, I'm sacrificially giving. No, no, by saying, no, I'm not going to do that because this is for God. It actually cultivates in our hearts that, God, this is for you, and it grows us. So step one is to do it. So Jesus here is not saying, don't give. He's saying, yes, give, but kingdom righteousness involves the heart. So check the motivations. Do it in secret, and that'll help you. It'll reveal your heart, but it'll also cultivate your heart. All right, so let's skip down, though, to verse 16 and 18 about fasting, uh, because there's the same main point there. Who is your audience? So what is fasting? Fasting isn't something that uh, we do a lot of now. We, we should probably do more of it, but it's something that was very popular in Jesus' day. It was one of those pillars of the faith where the Pharisees and other religious groups, they, they had at least two fast days a week. And I can't remember exactly. Sometimes they're Tuesday and Thursday. But anyways, these were the days you fasted. And the question is, who is your audience for fasting? Now, fasting is abstaining from something, usually food, for a spiritual purpose. So if you're fasting from food, and that's generally what they did at that time, that's hard, right? I don't know if, if anyone's ever done that, especially if you go multiple days, fasting is hard. It drains you. And so if you're fasting on the days when people are supposed to be fasting, well, you want them to know. Because it's hard. And you want people to think, oh, oh. And so what Jesus is saying, what people would do is instead of, you know, uh, washing their, their face and cleaning up and looking good, they wouldn't wash their face. They wouldn't be kept. So people would say, oh, that, you know, oh, Joe, he doesn't look good today. Oh, that's right. He's fasting. He's so spiritual. I mean, Every time there's a fast day, I can just look at him and tell he's fasting. Jesus says, don't do that. He's like, who is your audience? So the main point is, yes, fast, but fast to get closer to God, not for credit. And doing it in secret will both reveal your heart. I'm, I can do this. I don't want anyone to know I'm fasting because I'm not doing it for them, doing it for God. But it'll also cultivate in your heart that, wow, I'm really doing this for God because I don't want anyone. Else. Again, there's that, that, that interplay, that dance, if you will, between uh, us stepping out in obedience to God, but then uh, he transforms our heart in that interplay. So step one is, yeah, do it. Step two, do it in secret. Now, I saved this the, the section on prayer. So we, we talked about giving and fasting. The middle section is on prayer. And I saved that for last because if you noticed, there's a pattern. You know, there's, there's giving, prayer, fasting. But the prayer section's like twice as long as any of the other sections. It has the emphasis here in the Hebrew, especially being in the middle and being so, um, excuse me, in the Greek and being so uh, long. But now verse 5 and 6 of the prayer section, it follows the pattern, right? So it says, you know, when 
when you're praying, don't be like the hypocrites. They like to stand on the street corners and pray so that everyone sees them and say, wow, what a prayer warrior. He says, your father, he says, no, go and pray in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you, right? Audience of one, that you're praying, and who is your audience? It's God. So yes, do it, pray, but do it in secret, and that'll, that'll expose your heart. It'll cultivate in your heart a desire of who you're praying for or praying to. But notice, so if it were just that, verse 5 and 6, there'd be a very definitive pattern, right? Giving, prayer, fasting, they'd all be about the same length. They'd all have that same pattern. Don't do this, but do this. But here, Matthew adds this whole extra section, verses 7 through 13, which isn't about avoiding the spotlight, but rather avoiding vain repetition. So verse 7, it says, uh, so this breaks the pattern. So again, that's a point of emphasis. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So not only does God see in secret... He also sees into our hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. So, so both of our, uh, where we're at geographically, but also he sees into our hearts. He knows what we need before we even ask him. Therefore, our prayers can be simple, direct, and sincere. Like that is the goal of prayer. It's not all this flowery language and it can be simple because God, we understand who God is. And he knows what we need before we even ask him. So it's not about saying the right words. We're talking to our heavenly father. So pray based on who God is. And, and to help in that teaching, what does Jesus do? He goes on and gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. In the first half of the Lord's Prayer, it's where we, first of all, focus on who we're praying to. What, how does, how does the, our Father prayer start? Our Father. <laughs> it, it makes sense that who, the first and, and most important part about prayer is who are we praying to? Who is our audience? It's our Father in heaven. So the first half of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, don't be like the pagans using vain, uh, you know, vain repetition, but rather let me show you what God's agenda is. And God's agenda is first and foremost, we recognize our audience. It's not other people. It's not even our needs. It starts with our Father in heaven. And then we get in line with him and his agenda in his kingdom, because remember, what is Jesus teaching about in the Sermon on the Mount? On God's kingdom, his coming kingdom. And the thing about God's kingdom is it's God's kingdom. It's his. He's the king. So that the, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer teaches us not just to address who our audience is, but he's not only God, he's the king of the kingdom, but he's also our father. He's like a father. He's not some unknown deity. He's our Father in heaven. But he's not just our Father in heaven, but he's also to be revered. 
Again, he's the audience of one, not just in number, but in rank. He is number one. It's his kingdom. So we want his name to be hallowed. We want his name to be revered. And we want his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, he's saying that this, this Lord's Prayer, it sets us up first and foremost to understand who we're talking to. That's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. And then the second half is because he's a loving father, and Jesus will get into this in Matthew chapter 7, we can come to him with our requests. We can come with him, to him and say, Lord, give me the bread that I need for today. Lord, get, uh, forgive me my debts, because we all need forgiveness. So you see, what starts with recognizing who God is, but then it goes down to acknowledging our needs, praying for our needs in that second half. But also, notice we're praying for our needs, not our greeds. Um, but because God is a loving Father, we can ask him. We trust him, though, more than we trust ourselves. So yes, we acknowledge our needs, but because we know he sees into our hearts, he sees all things into our hearts, he sees situations we can't see, we ask him for our requests, but we trust him with the answer. We want his will to be done. And then in verse 14 to 15, just quickly, when it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Jesus unpacks that portion a little bit, meaning that if we have an audience with God, and so we encounter God in our prayers, then we give what we got. So we pray in verse 12, God, you know, forgive us our debts. Well, we receive that forgiveness, and if we have a true encounter with God, then that changes our behavior, <laughs> changes our heart, so that we're able to forgive others because God forgave us so much. And that's another general test for us, is that if we've had an audience with God, it should change our behavior. And if it doesn't, then what do we do? We go back to God in prayer and connection. So in contrast here, Jesus is contrasting pagans' prayers with the prayers of the kingdom. Pagan prayers try to get the gods to advance their will. To do, so, so I want something, and so what prayer is in the in pagan notion is, all right, if I say the right words, and if I say them enough times, I can get the gods to grant my request, to grant my wish. That's the pagan type of prayer. Jesus says that kind of magical thinking, that's not kingdom thinking, that's not kingdom prayer. The kingdom prayer is directed towards God, and it seeks his will first and foremost. And because God knows all and sees all, our prayers acknowledge that, and we want, we want him we want to encounter him. We want his kingdom, his will to be done. And therefore, our prayers, because we understand who God is, our prayers can be simple and direct. So, in the context of Jesus saying to avoid vain repetition, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. All right, did you see that? That's the context. No magical thinking. No, if I say the right words, 
or keep saying them, God was going to really hear me. No, that's more like spell casting than praying. And so the irony here is that Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer as an example of how to pray in a way that avoids vain repetition. So vain repetition. Not that repetition is bad. Sometimes repetition is good because when we repeat things, that it can sink down if we're doing them for the right person and the, uh, for the right audience and the right purpose. But vain repetition happens when we just do something without thinking of it. So if the point of prayer is an audience of one, if it's to connect with God, then it is an ironic tragedy that oftentimes we say the Lord's Prayer but don't pray the Lord's Prayer, especially given this context, especially given that Jesus says, oh, I do avoid vain repetition, so let me tell you how to pray. And so if you notice, we didn't do the Lord's Prayer when we normally do it, and I don't know what you thought about that, but my hope is that you thought, yes, I pray the Lord's Prayer. It is something I repeat, but it's because I think of every single word. I lift them up to God. It helps center me on God's will. If that's the case, then yes, that's beautiful. That's what repetition should do. But it's vain if we just repeat it because we always repeat it. Amen. And Jesus is calling us into something deeper. He's calling us. He's given us the Lord's Prayer so that we would draw close to God. Any prayer, any prayer that doesn't have God as its audience can be a vain repetition. So that's the question. Who are we addressing? Who are you addressing? Who am I addressing when we pray? Is it the Heavenly Father who's been revealed in Jesus? Or is it some other God? Are your words meant for God or others? Karl Barth, a German theologian who was off on some things, but he did say this one cool thing. Um, prayer is not prayer if it's addressed to anyone else but God. Prayer is not prayer if it's addressed to anyone else but God. I think that's so, that's, that really encapsulates what we're talking about here in Audience of One. And don't get me wrong, I, sometimes I, I'm a little reluctant uh, to, to, to preach on, on this particular thing in this way because I always want people to pray more. I want to pray more. I want you to pray more. I want us to pray more. So I, I'm reluctant to say anything that would make you pray less, like thinking about, oh, do I, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Should I not do this? Should I not do that? No, really what I want you to take away from this is that because God sees all, because he sees into our hearts, we can be, we can pray Directly, simply, and sincerely. We don't have to think about what's the right words. We can just open our heart to God as long as our heart is directed to God. And sometimes the most potent prayers in terms of their, they reflect the kingdom realities are ones where you don't even know how to pray. You just want God's will so much, but you don't know exactly what to say. And so maybe sometimes it's just, Lord, your kingdom come. And that's all you say, but it expresses the desires of your heart or Lord, have mercy. And that's all that you can get out. If it's that God sees the heart. Reminds me of um, 
in Romans chapter 8. Sorry, this isn't on the slide. Uh, verse 26, here's a promise. It says, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So a part of Jesus' promises is that he gives us his spirit so that even when we don't know the right words, not only can we just open our heart to God, we know that the spirit inside us that God has given us, if we're his children, the spirit intercedes, groans for us so that a simple, direct prayer of, Lord, have mercy, can connect with God and have more power in you and in your world than some fancy, Lord, thou art the king of blah, 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 and, you know, going on and on. No, simple, direct, sincere. Say it with me. Simple, direct, sincere. Those are some guidelines for prayer. Don't worry about what you're saying. Just worry about who am I talking to. That's why also we need to be careful in our prayers that we don't, we're not really praying because we want other people to hear or we want to tell other people something. No, our audience is God. One of the things that as a preacher I need to do is if I run out of time, which I always do, and I miss a point, that I don't pray my point at the end. Do you know what I mean? Is that no, I am, hopefully that as, we're, as we are um, getting drawing near to God and we want to apply the message to our life I lead us in prayer at the end so we like God help us to apply this but sometimes preachers and I've done this we're like oh I forgot that point so I'm going to pray about this point no that wouldn't be praying a sincere directed towards God I'd be having other motives so really I don't want you to be thinking a lot about oh how I pray what about the, the thing I want you to think about as you pray is God sees all, he knows my heart, so I want to go directly to him. He's the audience of one. And I also don't want you to think, as you look at this, well, does that mean we don't pray in public? Does that mean we don't give um, fast when everyone else is or anything like that? No, the, the, there's many scriptures that call for a public time of prayer. It's great when we pray together because God commands that too. It's more about what's the motivation? Who is the audience? And we can often encourage one another to pray to the audience of one. In fact, that's a part of our mission, right? Worship God, love people, grow Christ followers. Worship God. He's number one. We say at, at Second Baptist, Christ is first. He is the audience of one. He's number one. We want to reflect that in everything we do, how we give, how we pray, everything. And we can encourage one another to do that. So it's not like, okay, um, I can't do that. It's also, well, I'm not sure about my motivations, and so I'm not going to give, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to fast. No, oftentimes it's by doing these things, we step out in them, we look at our hearts, and in that process, God meets us and he, he forgives us and he helps cultivate in us the right heart. So the answer isn't, oh, I can't do that because my heart's not right. It's, Lord, as I'm praying, I can, I can tell that, you know, I, my heart's not right. And then in that interaction, God changes us from the inside out. Because one of the things about God's kingdom 
is yes, God's kingdom requires a lot, but everything God requires, he provides. That he gives us a new heart. He changes our heart. The, the thing is, we need to come to him. It's his kingdom. He's our audience. So, as we come to this last song, this time of, of singing, uh, not only is this true of prayer, it's also about singing. Who is our audience, right? Is that when we praise God, it's, it's like we're, we're, it's not like it is, we are, we're addressing him, we're praising him. When we pray, we're praying to him. He is our audience when we pray, when we praise all things. And so let's recommit to that today. As we pray, let's recommit to saying, God, you're number one. You are my audience of one. I'm doing this for you. Everything that I do, Lord, I pray that it would be because you're number one in my heart. You're number one in why I'm doing this. And God will meet us there. And God, here's this one last illustration. See, I can tell I'm going too long, but I have to give this illustration so I don't pray about it. No, um, <laughs> is that... I, yesterday I heard uh, a contest, right? The, the Boston Bruins are doing really well, and it was something like, hey, kids, you know, do you like, um, you know, Pasternak? He's a really good hockey player. Well, enter this contest, and you can spend a whole day with him. That's a good prize. See, connection is its own prize. So when Jesus says your reward is either be seen by people He's, when we're talking about prayer, what is the prize? What's the reward? It's God himself. It's connection with God. Like, that's the prize. Connection is its own reward. So if you want to be connected to other people so they think you're great, well, then make sure everyone sees you. But if you want to be connected with God and draw close to him, that connection is its own reward. So don't, let's not sell out. Let's not settle for having a few people think that we're spiritual or whatever. Let's press in to God himself. He is our audience. He is our prize. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we do ask that each one of us, Lord, each one of us, we know in these different things, we, we've all fallen short. Our heart motivations are mixed. So we pray now, Lord, as best as we know how, God, we pray that you would be number one. You would be our audience in our prayers, our fasting, our giving. Uh, but Lord, you're also our prize. So thank you, God. And, and we ask that as we sing this last song, God, you would be, Holy Spirit, you'd be moving in this place, inhabiting our prayers, our praises, so that you would be number one, God, in all that we do. Lord, work in this time, and we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you give us yourself and that you work on cultivating our hearts. We need it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.